Blog Talk Radio. And now, where the paranormal meets the sacred, and all topics in between, live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show, with your host, Shaw McCain. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain, I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We're translated into many different languages for our listeners outside the country, and we're very proud of that. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and I want to remind you that you can also call in and just listen, or you can ask questions. We have an excellent speaker tonight that uh, asks as many questions as you want because he's amazing. Anyway, The Paranormal and Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. During this show, I can take questions in order and chat, or you may call in with your question and speak with our special guest. Any buzzkillers in chat? You know I threaten you at this point. I know I'm nice and everything. But you're going to be kicked out, and I have a copy of your phone number and your information. I'll bug you if you bug me, so don't bug us. Be polite and play nice. Anyway, we've got a, some special events coming up that's kind of amazing. Uh, this Sunday, Ciro is actually going to be out in Fountain Valley, the monthly meeting. So if you need to know the address, call me because it's actually a secret location. But the Ciro meeting is this weekend, this Sunday, Fountain Valley and call me to get the location, okay, if you haven't got the email. Uh, message me on Facebook if you're a serial member or if you'd like to be a special guest, okay? So this is a this is a big one. Dr. J. Elias, popular host of the Dark Matter Radio, will moderate and field audience questions for a fascinating panel discussion coming up very soon. Who Who were they then and who are they now? Ancient prophecies correlating to current events. Recently discovered encoded texts from both the Torah and the Bible provide a new and enlightened perspective on history, modern times, and our relationships with these other beings. Yvonne Smith, author of Coronado and the President and Secret Service Adductions, is the founder and president of Sierra International. Dr. Elias is a radio show host, as I told you, from Dark Matters. He's also a personal friend of mine. I love the guy very much. L.A. Marzulli is going to be there. Oh, my God, he's going to be talking about the Nephilim trilogy. And he was uh, worked with Richard Shaw to create the Watchers series. And he's going to be amazing. He's going to be talking about UFOs, the Nephilim. We're going to find out more about that, the ancient prophetic texts. And he's appeared on numerous radio and television programs. Richard Shaw, producer of the numerous, numerous documentaries such as the Watcher series, Beat the Drum, The World's Project, and recently released Torah Codes, End to Darkness. And also Preston Dennett is going to be a speaker, a UFO and paranormal researcher. He 
He's in the field investigator and author of 16 books, including UFO Healings, hmm, True Accounts of People Healed by Extraterrestrials, as well as Popular UFOs Over the Skies. Purchase early online for preferred e- seating, 23 bucks. www.cerointernational.com. This is going to be coming up July 11th. I told you it was coming up fast. Anyway, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And you can find out the address and everything there because they have a excellent location, and you're going to love it over there. Anyway, uh, just find out all the more information to www.cerointernational.com. And now you know what? Experience or Speak is coming up August 28th to 29th to my nice friends in Maine. Uh, they have a whole website up, and it's uh, it's not sold out yet. So Audrey Stalbarn, the founder, she's saying uh, give her a call. There's still more tickets, and if you need arrangements for uh, places to stay or information like that, call her at 774-766-2558. Don't crank call her, please. Anyway, and that's August 29th and 28th, and it's that awesome weekend, and uh, pretty uh, Maine should be nice and warm by then. Friday speakers, John Polk, Kathleen Martin, and Tom Reed. I love these people. And then Saturday is Mike Quaylen, Suzanne Chancellor, Ryan Dorin, Eric Mitchell, Denise Stoner. I love her. Grant Cameron, love him. And Travis Walton. And he's and Peter Robbins is going to MC it. He's the most amazing guy in the world. Anyway, don't miss it because Travis is actually going to be screening his Travis, the true story of Travis Walton. And then there's another little notice that I have to tell you, everybody, is Alicia Keating. You know, she's working at Hoff Productions out of Emeryville, California, to develop a TV show based on families that have had ET experiences. Hoff works with several different networks, Discovery, History, TLC, Sci-Fi, just name a few. And we're interested in finding the right family members to revolve, you know, involve themselves in a docuseries surrounding UFO experiences. We'd like to capture your story Experiences hopefully start to chip away at the stigma of societies put on e-abductions and ETs. Anyway, we're hoping to open the world's eyes to out to many different family members each week. And they're conducting Skype interviews next week. Please, please get a hold of them. The Skype interview is about 15, 20 minutes with her. And don't be scared of her. Just do it. A. Keating. A-K-E-A-T-I-N-G at Hoff, H-O-F-F-T-V, for further information. You know what? I want to welcome my guest tonight, and I'm going to get him on the phone in a minute. I want to talk about him a little bit and give you his bio because I found one extraordinary person, and probably a lot of you already know him. His name is uh, Dr. John Alexander, author of the book Warrior's Edge. And he has a long history of traveling a fine line between traditional sciences and studying various phenomena. He has been judicious in applying a scientifically trained critical eye while personally encountering many situations that defied conventional standards and explanations. He has had an opportunity to discuss phenomenal events with many of the most brilliant scientific minds of the day. Alexander is an explorer that has dared to tread paths shunned by many scientists who fear for their personal reputations rather than searching for the truth, whatever it may take them. Yeah, because I'm kind of a scary cat myself. Only come out the last two years. Anyway, for this, he has received both acclaim and condemnations from believers and scoffers alike. Still, there, he remains focused on pursuing a path of knowledge that's likely to change how many people view the world. On this path, there have been many, many adventures. He's traveled the whole world. He's amazing. 
developing deep interest in near-death studies. John Alexander completed his doctoral work with the famous Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Can you believe that? He went on to become the president of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, then located at the University of Connecticut. As always, he split his efforts and continued to be pragmatic, the pragmatic path in helping to create Children's Hospital International, an organization dedicated to assisting children who are facing life-threatening illnesses in their families. God bless them. And for that effort, he received the President's Award for Volunteer Action from President Ronald Reagan. As part of his military duties, he became involved in studying science, psychic phenomena and attempting to understand the, what the Soviet Union was doing in this area. They then demonstrated remote influence and used these studies to challenge the American National Academy of Sciences. Until recently, he worked part-time at the National Institute of Discovery Science and a private research organization dedicated to exploring UFO topics. His book, UFOs, Myths, Conspiracies, and Realities, will be released by St. Martin's Press, February 2011. So it's already out, and I found it on Amazon, and I did provide a link, so go get it. To this day, Dr. Alexander continues his search. He calls it as he sees it. He has little use for conspiracy theorists, true believers who take in everything without questioning, or scoffers. So don't be stupid. Anyway, and scoffers either, so don't be mean, who refuse to accept facts no matter how persuasive. For nine years, he has served as chancellor for the Society of Scientific Exploration as a past president of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, and he's a founding member of the International Remote Viewers Association. And I find him extraordinary. And I'm going to call him right now, so bear with me just a minute while I call him in. Hold on a minute. I'm calling. Just hang in there. I'm not, nothing's wrong so far that I know. I just want, if anything happens, I'll call back into the show. If there's any glitches or he can't hear me or whatever the glitch is tonight, I'm doing my best. I got my Android going. I got two phones going and all my equipment. So let's just hope it runs well tonight. If you can't hear me, let me know. Okay. Okay, I'm still trying to call him in. Let's uh, let's see. I'm calling. It says it failed a couple times. Okay, I'm trying to call John Alexander. Calling John Alexander. Hmm. For some reason, it's just. Uh, I might have to have him call into the show because I don't understand that. Okay, hold on a minute. Let me try another number for him. Hold on a minute, please. Be patient. Okay, let me try another number. Hi, people in chat. I can see you. Love you. I'm just trying to get this thing started. <laughs> trying to get this party started, okay? So let's see. Let's see what's going on here. Let's try again.
It's ringing. Hello? Hi, Mr. John Alexander. You're live with Paranormal and the Sacred. Well, why are we on this line? Well, what happened was the other line just kept hanging up on me and it wouldn't pick up. And I could call you back on the other no, line. The, the phone has it. not rung. Give me really? the number. Give me the uh, number. No, I can't give you the, we're live, so I don't want to tell anybody your number. So do you want me to try it again? You can, but I think you've got the wrong number because this hasn't. I'm sitting here and it hasn't budged. Unless you want to stay, this is a cell phone. So. Okay. Do you want to do stay on your cell, or do you want me to try to do the other number? I think I can well, try stay here. On the, yeah. Wait. I'm going to do it while we're on the air. I've never done it before, but let me call your other number while we're here. Just okay. to be sure. So anyway, you're live with the paranormal and the sacred. I'd like to welcome you to the show tonight. Everybody's already in chat. We're all waiting with bated breath because uh, we're very excited about this. Okay, now I'm now I'm going to do it. Let me try again. Okay, I'm calling in. There it goes. There it is. Just a second. Okay, pick that one up. Got it. Hi, Doctor John. So I'm going to hang up the other phone, and we'll have you on this one. I'm sorry. Is this one okay? Yes. Uh oh, we're there's the sound is bad on the uh, this one. Hello. Yeah, pick up the other line. I. Yeah, I can't hear you at all right now. So let's try the other line. Okay. Or else, okay, I'm give you the show number. Okay, you can okay. call me in from whatever phone. So the show number tonight is 619-924-9744. Okay. Okay, so he's dropped, but uh, let's let's have him call back again. Can you guys hear me okay? There's always these little glitches, no matter what I do. Man, I had everything going, and it still happens the same way. So when I see his number, I'll pick it up. So can you guys hear me in chat? Oh, cool. Again, just waiting for him to call me back. And if you can hear me, 619-924-9744. It'll take a minute just to get our stuff uh, going here. Hold on a moment. Please be patient. Hold on. Do you guys want music or are you willing to just listen to me for a minute? Just try to start the show. Uh Hi, John. I just called the number, the show number, 619-924-924-9744. Uh
9744. Just call in, I'll see you. 404. Yeah, you know, there's some kind of weird electronic glitch that happens, and I'm not sure who who or what is doing it. Yeah, everybody's waiting for you. Okay, okay, bye. Well, now, you know, you can hear how it is producing a show, and this is what happens. So I'm glad you guys are there, and just get ready for your question. And uh, he'll call back in. I think it's going to be a clear number. Uh, let's hope, and because uh, it was cool there for a minute. Uh, let's see. Just waiting for him to call in, and patience is a virtue. Remember that. Anyway, there we go. Hello, Dr. John, is it you? I have got it now, yes. Hey, you got it, and you sound great. Okay, so uh, actually I read a lot of your bio, and uh, we're all so excited and waiting, uh, you know, to hear your story. And would you like to uh, tell us, uh, you know, the beginning and uh, where you grew up and what led you into the field you're in? Um, I don't even know how to address that. Uh, Why don't we pick a topic and go with that? Um, Okay, you don't want to. Uh, okay, you don't want to introduce yourself. So um, we can. We're there's so many different uh, things that you've been involved with that I've also experienced or been involved with. And you worked with uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross on near death right. uh, studies. Uh, do you want to tell us uh, something about that? Well, Elizabeth, um, actually, she was the head of my committee when I did my uh, doctoral dissertation. Um, That's one that's kind of interesting how it came about. I had met her uh, at a couple of conferences. I had taken, had a workshop called Life, Death, and Transition. And um, I was still in the military at the time, assigned in Atlanta. And so it was a very impactful uh, workshop. Um, You had uh, about 50% of the people were uh, medical professionals. About a quarter were folks like me interested in various topics, and about a quarter of them were dying. I mean, actually, patients would have been in hospice. So you can imagine the emotional uh, event that it must have been so anyway, after that, I wrote her a letter and just said, gee, thanks. It was really uh, quite uh, quite a meaningful event. And then um, a few weeks later, I got a call from her secretary who said, Elizabeth is going to be passing through Atlanta. This was days where you could still go out to the gate, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she's got uh, a couple of hours there. Could you meet her? I said, well, of course. So uh, anyway, next day at the appointed time, went out, met her plane, and she said, you know, I know lots and lots of people in Atlanta, and I chose you to call, and I have no idea why I did that. (laughs) And I said, well, I think I'm supposed to ask you a question, and that, again, led to her becoming the head of my committee. And what was the question? question was would you would she 
you know, be on my doctoral committee. Wow, yeah, you're just lucky to have her. Um, that's quite amazing. And what have you, what have your studies found, and and what was your uh, particular uh, population that you were looking at? All near-death studies, or your primary? No, no, it wasn't near-death at all. I remember Elizabeth, um, well, she and Raymond brought near-death studies to the U.S. Uh, she's the one best known for on death and dying, discussing the stages of death. She's also integrally involved in bringing hospice, uh, the entire movement. That's kind of a common thing here, but in the 1970s, um, hospices were pretty rare item here in the U.S. It was much better known in Europe. And so um, what we actually did was to develop a uh, psychological instrument for measuring changes in spirituality in people who attended the Life, Death, and Transition workshop. And then I was able to, through her, test them before they attended, at the end of of the workshop, and then at a later time, what we call the post-post uh, analysis of the changes, and it turned out to be pretty uh, pretty significant. And what were these changes? What were your findings? Well, it people became uh, indicated that there was a change in the spiritual nature. Actually, I should say that. She had me change one word, and that was uh, religiousness to spirituality, which turned out to be pretty significant. Because the um, so I one of the questions was, do you consider yourself to be religious slash spiritual? And many many people wrote in, even though they weren't asked to, but just said. I reject the dogma of the church, but I consider myself to be a spiritual person or I have a spiritual relationship with a higher, you know, being or higher order of some kind. Um, But uh, many of them were actively rejecting organized religion, but uh, claimed that they had a relationship with, again, higher being or a spiritual nature. And this helped them uh, both physically and emotionally. We guess. I mean, physically, I have no way of measuring that. We were yeah. again me- measuring the reported changes that they were claimed uh, took place. Well, again, we started with we knew the, uh, the instrument is much more complex than that. It wasn't just a question, yeah. but there was a uh, scale in there that, and so we looked for movement on you know various parameters on the scale yes have have you had uh any uh, direct experience with people uh with the near death experience or you yourself had a uh near death experience uh no I've not had an n d e um however uh after I had completed my degree. I later became, well, I joined IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and um, 
then eventually I was, well, I was on the board and then became president for a while. Uh, in the fairly early days, early 1980s, uh, when IONS was just getting started, you might mention that they're having their annual uh, convention in um, uh, San Antonio this year from the 3rd through the 6th of September. Yeah, I want to I want to say that too. Good. And uh it's in San Antonio and uh where can we get more information about that? We'll go to the IONS website. It's iands.org. And uh, they have uh the list of there's uh, Evan Alexander is going to be there. Uh, he's no, no relative whatsoever. He's the one who wrote Proof of Heaven. Uh, yeah. And uh, Anita Morjani and uh, several others. It's going to be quite a, quite a convention. It just sounds awesome. Are you going to be there? Yeah, um, I'll be speaking as well. Oh, that just sounds wonderful. I'm glad you told us about And the date on that again? It uh, begins on 3 September uh, through noon on the 6th. The 6th, the 3rd through the 6th of September. So everybody start saving your money to, to travel out there um, and go to org. Correct. Okay, good. So we can find it because it's, uh, it's fascinating. And uh, I have interviewed Dr. Raymond Moody a couple times and I'm sure that you've met him because I saw a picture of you standing with him. Oh, and what a guy he is. I've known Raymond for decades. He's he's amazing. And uh, he had his uh, last book was a little uh, startling, really. You know, I don't know if you read that last book. But on the other hand, you know, his uh, vulnerability and telling, telling his story, you know, really touched a lot of us. Because he was yeah. ill for so well, long. I'm not and sure which one you refer to as last, but so. the uh, the last one about you know his life story. I don't know if you read that yet. Anyway, I've got to, I'll dig up the title. Know, I have to know the title. I've read many of them, and uh, he's certainly been on the forefront of the work. I mean, first started with NDEs per se. Did yeah. work with Psychomatium where you were having uh, what he wrote in reunions, talking about entities returning uh, and, you know, after death and having direct interactions. Uh, he's also done work with, um, where you're having multiple witnesses uh, yes. during during the transition. So uh, pretty advanced stuff. Yeah, that was stunning because... Uh, I never understood or knew of the concept that people can witness your life review, and I had never heard of it before, so it was quite stunning to me, and it kind of explains a few of my near-death experiences. For some reason, I've died in my sleep a couple of times, so I've had these extraordinary uh, things go on. And also, we have uh, featured your book, UFOs, Myths, Conspiracies, and Realities, uh, in our Paranormal and Sacred uh, book club. So we're really happy to, to promote, promote your book because we really want to find out because a lot of us that are interested in spirituality and everything else have also have a UFO abductees, seeing UFOs, wondering what it's like, you know, uh, 
in this whole beautiful uh, universe, there must be others. And uh, it kind of mixes in with our spirituality, but it's kind of confusing. Well, it's like the, we're actually almost complete well, denial of reality. Yeah, well, yeah, not a simple issue. Um, in my presentations, I always have a slide that's a collage of various phenomena from near-death experience of poltergeist to UFOs to cryptozoology to interspecies communications, uh, remote viewing, etc., you know, miraculous healings, um, visitations, etc. And my point is, and this includes UFOs, that in my view, these are all connected somehow. And I believe that consciousness is a key part. And one of the problems that we have is that people interested in these topics kind of isolate. They, they delineate the information they will allow in as opposed to, you know, a UFO is only X amount or near-death experience. They can't understand how there might be, uh, you know, any kind of crosswalk. And uh, I think it's there. Uh, and the problem that we have is looking at them, uh, each of the phenomena in isolation. Yeah, you know, that's the difficult part of this, and I can sense that you really, really understand it, is because for a lot of us experiencers, uh, we've had to compartmentalize things in our whole life. We have to work, we have uh, professional jobs, and uh, or we work for the government, and then we put that in one compartment, and then we put uh, abductions in another one, and spiritual experiences in another one, just so we can exist. Well, uh, one of the things I address in the books, I, I do come down against the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and that is a simple thing, little gray guys from Zeta Reticuli are coming down and snatching folks. Um, and the reason I reject it is it's just too simple. Uh, the reality is far more complex. Uh, one of the things I point out is that there have been reports of interactions between humans and sentient non-human entities throughout the entirety of history. And the notion that they come down and swoop you up in little spaceships is in general relatively new. So it's how do you explain how this appears in basically every culture around the world, uh, stories of interactions with non-human beings. The other problem is the wide variety of beings that are described. And you go like, wow, are we on the cosmic bucket list of places you got to visit? You know, how you could have so many different types of beings that are reported with fairly credible witnesses. Yeah, and also uh, many different uh, uh, UFOs and all different types. Types Some are saying several football fields wide and other ones that are small as a VW. And uh, people are seeing varied things, but I think with all these witnesses, there has to be something to it. That's what I think. Well, I, I believe uh, the a lot problem. of witnesses. 
Yeah. Go ahead. I, I just don't know don't know what to do with defining UFOs other than something that's flying that you don't know what it is because um, it's kind of what you're describing. We have things that are little balls of light dashing around. I've got huge craft uh, more than a mile across that you know seen by lots and lots of witnesses and thousands and thousands of variations in between. And in my view, it is the number of variations that is problematic. It also suggests that uh, we're not about to find any kind of a simple explanation. No. Um, I personally, I found uh, when I uh, came to the surface, all these things that are happening since childhood, you know, I sought out help. I started, actually, I wrote to Harvard, and uh, I wrote a letter to Dr. John Mack, and this was a long time ago in the early 80s. And uh, he actually answered my letter and uh, referred me to a group that I still belong to for gosh, the last 22 years. And I, I get a lot of help from the support because sometimes uh if uh, people haven't experienced it or haven't seen one, it's kind of hard to relate to a person like that. How do you approach well, people? Yeah, John Mack was a personal friend, and yeah. Um, yeah, we have discussed these things. Um, actually, his private views were a little different from uh, what you might gather, and, and that was we agreed that it, there was something, certainly saw a reality of the experiences, but having said that, this huge variety and somehow an interaction of consciousness uh, that's uh, probably responsible for it. So, uh, hmm. Like there's a greater. Do you believe that there's a greater consciousness overall, over all beings? Well, I, um, in fact, in the book I write to something that I call the um, precognitive sentient phenomena, and I mention that because of uh, the stuff that we saw at the Skinwalker Ranch, where just truly bizarre things were happening, but absolutely happening. There's no doubt uh, about that. And then um, I said it was, the, this gets back to the trickster. The trickster appears in many, many studies, as well as mythology. And what I said was that the things we saw at the ranch, it was precognitive in that it knew how we were going to respond uh, to events that hadn't happened yet, and it was going to present it, and then we would, um, uh, you know, respond and research it, and it already knew, however it was, that we were going to research it before it ever happened. And so I said it's sentient, it is definitely smart, uh, and absolutely in control. You know, certainly phenomenal. So, so again, this is it gets the back to being. Ranch? 
you saw something or you just sensed something? Well, that's reported uh, the, um, uh, I guess, the best book on that. Uh, I report on it some in my book. The uh, uh, best one is one that uh, George Knapp and Colin Kelleher worked about it because there were just, it is uh, almost impossible to describe the complexity of the events that definitely happened. Um, and the guys up there as part of the NIDS, I mean, we're talking PhD level, well-trained um, scientists and having any number of experiences, there's not one single thing that happened. These events kind of went on. And the reason that Bob bought the ranch was that these events had been going on previously and had, had heard about it. And it's, um, it's uh, like I say, just pr- pretty hard to uh, describe and certainly can't be ignored. Right. I, you know, I have an ex- experience that I know a lot of people that have gone there and, uh, and, uh, and they say there is something going on there, but they're, uh, we're having questions from chat, and they're asking, by the ranch, do you mean you worked alongside of the ESETI group, a group that does regular contact with UFOs? Contacting him. Now, people are telling you they're going there. That's just nonsense. Okay. Um, this, is a, this is a private ranch. It's a working ranch. People miss that. And... Uh, there's a lot of people who make some pretty outrageous claims, but uh, yeah, go, going up and spending time is is not one of them, unless there were a handful of the uh, uh, researchers from NIDS uh, themselves. Um, and we we were there um, kind of 24/7 for you know quite a few years. Well, the ranch was monitored on a continuous basis. And we had, um, like I say, a huge variety of experiences being described. Okay, it's, uh, you know, because I've heard that there was like shadow people and uh, skinwalkers and shape-shifting, and that is in in, uh, Native American lore, and it is a shape-shifter or the joker, the jackal, actually, coyote. It's coyote power, and uh, I guess that other humans uh, observing it are feeling and seeing, uh, you know, these unusual things. But see, I don't know what they're seeing. They're they're describing it and everything else, but I still can't get a grip on what is it like shadows? Is it a feeling? Is it altering the way you think? But you said it was predicting predicting the future. And how did you know that? Yeah, it, it, it was, well, that's why I say it's in charge. That was the main thing, is that whatever it is, and I don't know what it is, but it is in charge. You don't know, okay, you saw it or did you feel it, or both? Oh, the phenomena are, are across the spectrum. And again, they've written entire books uh, on that, but... Uh, any number of events that happened, but uh, certainly happened in reality. Uh, from, uh, uh, and, uh, 
hard to say where to begin. Where Terry ended up uh, shooting one falling out of a tree that uh, was in the dark, shot at very close range with um, one of our senior researchers right there, fell to the ground and disappears. And the only thing they found was a huge imprint in the snow that looked like Basically, like a velociraptor, if you will, of uh, wow. the Jurassic Park. Um, I mean, just even we had uh, there's a famous one where they were on the ridge overlooking the ranch, and you see a light uh, emanating about uh, kind of faintly, maybe three feet uh, above the ground. And then it expands, and then some kind of creepy crawler reaches up and pulls himself out and jumps down off of that and runs off. And then the light, you know, collapses. You go down, and there's absolutely no prints whatsoever. Wow. Um, but, but the problem was that... Uh, Every time you get onto something, then the phenomena would go, oh, if you like that, try this, and you would get something totally different. That's why we say it knew how we were going to respond before it even presented the phenomena to us. You know, in the trickster folklore, it's like the coyote makes a, a he plays the fool but he also makes a fool out of you. That's part of the whole trickster thing. Because you think you know what you're seeing but you really don't. Because he'll, he'll turn it on you and make everybody else look like idiots. Now I think that's the what the uh, the purpose of it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's, that is the trickster, and uh, like I say, trickster is in charge. Right. Okay, so it would be for people that don't understand uh, that the trickster actually makes us look at ourselves and makes us uncomfortable. Let's say we're, uh, you know, we think that, um, you know, that we're, I don't know, smarter than everybody else. And what it does is knock you down because it it, uh, it it pulls something else on you. I'm trying to describe it, but uh, I think you guys understand. We're not going to sort that, but that's an example of what I say is we're we're not about to get simple answers, and I argue we're not even at the point of asking the right questions yet. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the right questions are, but, you know, we're not exploring these things seriously. Well, they keep trying, and people will be attracted by it. The book that we were referring to is actually uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker, Science Confronts and Unexplained at a Remote Ranch in Utah by Ph.D. Colm Kelleher and George Knapp. Right. Right, and that talks us about all those things. Yeah, Colm was a deputy administrator and the guy running NIDS on a day-to-day basis. And uh, it's a very accurate book. Well, tell us about your, you have another interesting book, and it's called, let's see, um, what's your other book called, sir? 
Why have several? The Warrior's um, Edge. Not, not, sure, not sure which one you're referring to. The war, the Warrior's Edge. Oh, Warrior's Edge. Well, that's nonfiction. Um, yeah. And that had to do. That was introducing the world to uh, non-lethal weapons. Yes. So that was the and first you, one, and there was a sequel to that called Winning a War. It was uh, uh, updated about uh, a number of years later. Well, you know, you. Uh, I'm happy to uh, let, let people know that you actually received the Department of Energy Award for Excellence in the Nuclear Weapons Program and uh uh, for what the work you have worked with with non-lethal weapons and science and technology, and you also received the Knowlton Award for lifelong contributions to military intelligence. You know, you're uh, for nearly a decade. You were a senior fellow at the Joint Specialist Operations University, and you've done, you know, so much. And in your travels, uh, you have actually met shaman and. Uh, travel countries where there are actual cannibals and things like that. Do you want to uh, tell us about those uh, travels to to what country? The Amazon? <laughs> New Guinea? Uh, well, no. We we have been on uh, every continent. Uh, so it's... Uh, yeah, certainly have been in the Amazon through many areas of South America and... Uh, of course, Peru a lot, Ecuador, Brazil, uh, been in Africa. Uh, the last year in Brazil, I, you know, I gave a talk on the three we had been in with the reindeer shamans in northern Mongolia, with voodoo uh, priests. We saw amazing things in Togo and Benin. Um, yeah, there's... Uh, very few places haven't hit uh, at uh, one point or another. Right. So you found, you actually meant uh, these uh, tribal shaman and everything else. And and what's your uh, experience with the shaman? Well, again, this goes on for decades, so <laughs> it, it varies well, what's tremendously. Well, I, I have no way of addressing it. People ask all the time, what's your favorite place to go to? And I just can't uh, can't even begin to address that. I guess it's the next one, whatever. Uh, the, um, I don't know, are you familiar with ayahuasca? Uh, yeah, the, is it a, a tribe? No, it's a, a substance that the shamans use. Oh it's, yeah, the uh, the incendiary uh, drug, the vision. Is, well, that, that's one possibility. I don't buy into it being a hallucination, though I do understand that uh, trimethyltryptophan is you know, believed to be the psychoactive substance in it. Um, but, um, you know, we've dealt with some, my wife uses it, uh, and it, this is not something to be entered into lightly. If anybody's interested, we do have uh, a friend of ours is called the Gringo Shaman uh, down in Iquitos, uh, Peru. If they think they're interested, they can get on his uh, website, 
you just look up Gringo Shaman, it'll pop up. It's Ron Wheelock. Um, the advantage is he speaks uh, English because he is an American with actually dual citizenship now. But uh, I've trained with many of the shamans. The whole Santo Daime religion is based on using it, though the substance they use is generally a little weaker. We saw that in uh, Don Cortilla in uh, Brazil uh, attending. Well, we've seen it in several several ceremonies um, with uh, Condomble and Umbanda uh, as well. But the um, point is you do drink this substance. Um, there is no way that it is going to become a recreational drug because the uh, side effects are rather profound. Uh, it's called cleansing and cleanses uh, everything, but lots of uh, sickness and vomiting that uh, kind of go with it. But um, as you work with this, it's called a medicine because there's a lot of healings that uh, take place. And you, over time, you learn how to control the events. And you do get into multidimensional realities and places to travel and get uh, information. Yeah. Psychologically, it can be quite jarring, but usually after the after effects are that people go, wow, that's exactly what I needed. Uh, but it can be kind of frightening at the time. So you took it? I'm sorry? So did you take the drink, the medicine? No, no, I don't. I'm the, uh, I am the researcher. So uh, yeah. uh, I have said my wife does it, and so I've seen this a lot. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it's it's just uh, quite uh, quite amazing. So yeah, it's uh, you know these are all you know very deep uh, areas of studies, and uh, I'm sure everybody will, can go and uh, do their research and find out more about this. But uh, you've just been you've been everywhere: the Andes and the Bolivia and Peru and Himalayas and Nepal and the Tibet. And uh, you studied in the Amazon. And uh, what did you? Uh, what what stood out to you? And you you actually observed the Sufis in Turkey. I mean, you've done so much, sir. You know, and it's amazing. You know, the wealth of information that you have. You know, for us. Is that a question, or uh, I'm not sure oh. what. Uh... And then I was just trying to uh, think of, like, what was your, well, some of your greater personal experiences in your travel with these different uh, spiritual ceremonies and things like that? Hmm. Kind of hard, because most of these are internal experiences. Um, yeah. May we do point out that um, on a number of occasions, we have uh, certainly experienced things that physically cannot happen, uh, but did. Um, 
Hard to explain. Well, I'll give you a classic example is that um, we, um, uh, in uh, Togo, uh, meeting with folks, uh, you can find some of these on the website, you find the stills, but um, uh, voodoo priests who were dealing with fire, uh, were they walk in it, they sit in it, they sand it, they eat it. Um, and, well, for instance, see them take burning log and, and bite it and hold it in their mouth for maybe a minute, and as they inhale and exhale, you can see the, the uh, you know, getting brighter uh, at that time. Um I've taken it. I have friends here who live in Vegas. So uh, a friend of mine is Jeff McBride, who is kind of a magician's magician. He's one who teaches these uh, magicians, you know, how to do performances and that. And he's also, unlike many of them, uh, actually interested in these kinds of topics. And um, so uh, uh, we... uh, I took it over to him and I showed him video um uh, and uh the he just said, you know, basically no way, you cannot uh you know, this is not fake. These people are really doing exactly what it looks like they're doing and yet by our understanding of laws of thermodynamics, um they would burn. So, yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so like walking on fire and doing stuff like that. That would be minor <laughs> compared to what they're doing. Right. So, how has this affected your belief systems? And uh, because you've had to keep an open mind and speak with so many different world people worldwide you know how has it affected your personal experience well again not sure how to address that uh certainly believe in higher powers and the impact of the spirituality i think that's kind of the message behind uh um, you know what's happening with ndes yeah. Um, yeah. But it's uh, I, I happen to think that reincarnation is the logical uh, explanation or extrapolation of why we're here, and uh, that uh, you know you're here for a purpose and have to learn all these things. So that's right. There's a reason for everything, and. Uh... I think we're all here finding our purpose and and you've traveled a lot a lot longer and been at it and it's it's, it's just kind of amazing to me and it's fascinating to me that people that travel worldwide because I haven't you know but I've had these uh, strange dreams of of being in India and stuff like that all my whole life or being in China and things and uh it's just wonderful to hear about it now do you mind if we talk about men who stare at goats you mind if I bring up the remote viewing topic and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens to be well, one of my yeah. favorite things. 
Well, the problem with goats is that um, when Ronson wrote the book, he uh, took a little tiny bit of truth and then wrote this whole long book. I said it's about 5% accurate, and then the rest of it is uh, just nonsense. And then they made the movie. Mm-hmm. So it, it tells you about how how accurate the movie itself was. So, wasn't that about Lynn Buchanan and uh, other uh, servicemen that were in this special? Uh, oh, Jim, Jim, yeah, no, no, Jim Channon was a friend, and um, yeah. uh, he's the guy who created uh, First Earth Battalion, a great uh, Imagineer. Um, and if you know the movie, Jeff Bridges kind of played Jim one for one. Uh, Clooney was much more a composite uh, character that was put together after the fact. Now, in the book, there's no doubt who we are because, um, despite the fact that he fictionalized it, you know, our names appear. Um, I will say that when it first came out, I could identify 16 people and talk to many of them. And, you know, the interesting thing was he said, uh, you know, he'd interviewed all these folks, and we're all going, never heard of him. Um, and, in fact, uh, he was on a program, I think it was on Coast to Coast or something, but I sent him mm-hmm. an email and said, you were never here. You know, I don't know who you are. We never, you know, met. And he came back with something about my house that was so specific. I said, damn, he maybe he must have been here. And uh, I did know uh, a guy by the name of John Sargent who was filming uh, a lot of this stuff. And so I went and I looked, and sure enough, there was his name. Um, Rawson, but I thought he was like a grip, you know. And the interaction was between John Sargent and myself, and he may have asked the question, but it's like you go to a restaurant and sit in a booth and listen to the people in the next booth and then say you interviewed them. Uh, yeah. No, uh, I, I still maintain he never interviewed me, per se. So, uh, but uh say great imagination had no interest in, in truth whatsoever. Uh wow. what we do know is uh and again if um, on my website you can actually go in I have written it up as to what's accurate, what's not. Now goats did die, um, but it had absolutely nothing to do with staring at them. I mean that's just total <laughs> fiction. I, you know, I knew the, the ghosts were falling over, but I didn't know they were dying, poor things. Anyway, I did see the movie a couple of times and read about it. But um, as a matter of fact, I do remember on the news, as you, you were part of this whole thing, so you know what I'm talking about. But when they were doing remote, the Soviets were doing remote viewing, they were actually trying to change a chess game. Do you remember this, this one I'm talking about? They were remember trying they were to what? They were trying to influence a, a, a chess game, and they wanted to uh, the Russians to win. Oh, you're talking Kasparov. Yeah, no, you're talking about Kasparov. Um, 
and the uh, game. Yeah, that that's sort of reported that uh, and uh, they wanted Geller. This is not remote viewing. This was an influence uh, approach. And, um, of course, Geller said he was brought in to uh, do the the same thing from our perspective. So, so um, I, I, I uh, should mention I know Uri, too, and consider him a friend. So uh, I know. I, I saw you guys together, Pitchy. That's why I brought it up, because he was a big deal. When he first started out, I think, spoon bending, something I've still never been able to do. But uh, it's just interesting um, how this all fits together. You know, somehow, you know, the people that you were talking about and everywhere you're going, it all all fits, even though it seems uh, uh, far and wide. It's very interesting that we're actually talking about some kind of phenomena. And But remote viewing, I believe, is is real. I believe that it's, and actually influence people from a distance also real. Yeah, well, uh, it's certainly real. There are courses, but I would, if anybody's interested, I'd say caveat emptor um, as to who, you know, the training. The, the trouble is there are so many fakes out there, and you know, people kept popping up and saying, you know, I was in the unit and the secret unit and all this. You go, no, no, it was really a very small group and we know who everybody was. Right. Um, and they also, even some were involved, make some pretty r- ridiculous claims. Uh, so they say anybody who comes up and says, I'm going to teach you how to do this and be 100% accurate, I would run. It just doesn't work like that. Have you, uh, you yourself have been trained in this. Um, how easy is it, was it to learn for you? Well, A, that's not quite accurate. I had, you know, some training. And one of the things about remote viewing is it's a lot of work, uh, particularly to get, you know, really good at it. People think it's like... Uh, you know, turning on the television or watching a movie, or, and it's not like that at all. And uh, the amount of training that, that goes into it and work is uh, more than most people are probably willing to, uh, you know, actually uh, put into the process. It, it's um, a lot of work. <laughs> and, it is a lot of people, work and a lot of training. It's yeah. on my to-do list. It's on my, you know, bucket list. That's what I want to do someday. I'd love to. I would love to do it because <laughs> I've done it anyway. But I'm usually sleeping when it happens. I don't. I don't know if uh, people call that uh, by location or you're. It seems to be in your bed, well, but no, you're actually remote viewing is you're basically in a fully conscious state. So if you're sleeping. Now, there's a lot of work that's been done on dreams and things, which is a little different as, as well. And, and certainly people do get useful information in dreams, and there's something called lucid dreaming where you can teach people, you know, how to manipulate their dreams once you're in. It's, you know, where you're aware that you're dreaming but can control the content. And... Um, 
or some who get some pretty good information uh, from that. Really, I mean, some of our famous scientists uh, uh, have actually said that they learned it in their dream or their formula was in their dream or the solution over and over, you know, people have. Uh, so I, I really know that we're working out issues in our dreams. And, uh, well, yeah, anyway. they, um, go ahead. No, I was just wondering, uh, they're starting, they're asking questions in chat and, uh, they're, what do you think about, uh, Nikola, Nikola Tesla and all his work and how he, he's, people are trying to keep his things alive right now, the new Tesla cars, things like that. Well, I'm not sure. I guess, I'm not sure uh, what you mean. Well, um, we were just wondering of how you felt about, uh, you know, the electricity and uh, what I was thinking about when some people are talking to me about that. I was thinking about how Einstein thought that uh, everybody thought that he was smart, but Nikola Tesla they thought he was smarter. But uh, the thing is that they were actually learning while they were sleeping. That uh, I, okay, okay. Here's a question: Does John think well, this is a special time in history as far as awakening goes? Here's a question for you from Chad. I lost. I lost the question per se. Okay, let me ask it again. Okay, uh, uh, Supernatural Radio is asking in chat: Does John think this is a special time in history as far as awakening goes? Time in history. Um, yeah. Short answer is going to be no. That, you know, if we believe in these, these spiritual interventions, and it would suggest that um, this stuff is just going on on a continuous basis. Uh, so I'm, I, I know there's a lot of people who would like that to be yes to the transformation. Uh, got a friend who wrote uh, Return of the Revolutionaries who talked about um, you know, the number of people who are incarnate now and interacting and all of that. I would probably argue, yes, it is special, but uh, I'm not sure that it's uh, special per se other than these things have occurred continuously and I think will continue. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, people are also referring to how things are coming together. Like uh, in all your studies, did you find that the common factor that there was synchronicity, you know, and exquisite uh, timing with a lot of these things? Um, well, in my view, there's no such thing as synchronicity. So. What? Yeah. My- Every, everything happens for a reason. Okay, so everything happens for a reason. Yeah, that's what I think, but I also think there's uh, powers that are actually drawing us into, uh, let's say, a happy accident, and it leads to another accident, and then uh, actually it turns out to be uh, greatly profitable or whatever. You know, I've had that happen over and over and over again. To just be yeah. at the right no, place. No, we're right agreeing. Time. I'm just saying that's that's. Uh, I think it appears to be synchronous, but it's it was bound to happen. So. Um, 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, there, there are no coincidences. Okay. Um, okay, there's another question. Uh, where do you think we we go when we die? Where do you go when you die? Uh, yeah. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think that's a useful question. Um, and this is like the UFO one. And it's when you say where, as if there were a place, per se. Uh, in my view, what you see is a change in state of consciousness. Um, but it, the, the problematic point is when you say where. Uh, I'm not sure there's a... You know, heard a great song once that said, um, I uh, <clears throat> it kept trying to find the reason why, but the reason wasn't why. And, uh, you know, it's like, there's, it's not a why, and I don't think it's a where. Um, I think, obviously, it's a continuation, um, but... Um, yeah, very... I, I also want to point out that I have no interest in changing anybody's philosophical position or religion mm-hmm. or anything like that. Uh, right. This is something you got to learn for yourself. And whatever you come up with is okay with me, unless it interferes with me. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. I guess they really wanted to know what your personal beliefs were on the subject and, uh, do you, do you believe there is uh, another hereafter, or if the spirit goes oh, on? I, I, think, I think there's no doubt of the continuation of consciousness. Okay. Uh, like I say, where does that go? I'm not sure how to deal with that one. I did mention earlier, and my personal view is that uh, reincarnation makes a lot of sense. And... Um, I know that that's uh, controversial in many areas, but uh, I find I think most of the people who are in your death studies uh, would say that. Um, I will say there's a very famous medium who's a good friend of mine, who's she's very very good, uh, who doesn't uh, and and actually ran you know a spiritist church. Um, and does not see uh, reincarnation as the uh, continuation of consciousness, yes, but not that you would come back. Hmm. What? Um, what's her name? If you don't mind my, you don't want to say. Well, I don't want to her at this point, but. Uh, okay. Okay. Like I said, you know, I have. You know, she is I have a extraordinary. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a friend, Lorraine Flaherty. I don't know if you know her. And she explained reincarnation. Uh, I was actually uh, seeing her at a little conference, and uh, everybody raised their hand but me when they asked who believes in reincarnation. I didn't raise my hand only because I don't know what the proof of it is or any of that. And then she explained it. She said it's it's like following DNA. It's It's that a solid. It's not just like a theory. She said, you can follow your DNA back to the Neanderthal age. 
and that some people are acting out uh, these what, people that are drinking, drinking, killing people, you know, psychos and stuff like that are actually acting out their Neanderthal beginnings, the ones that have DNA in their Neanderthal lines. But when she was well, talking, I actually understood it for some reason. I understood, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what you mean by destiny, and you're acting out these things, and you come back. It's not like you're coming back. You're just Your next generation is born to work it out. Well, it, it gets very complex. One of the issues that uh, Elizabeth had mentioned was what about, you know, incarnations on other planetaries. You have to come back always to Earth. Uh, if you look at the Hindu religion, which is firmly evolves around uh, reincarnation, and there you can change life forms uh, fairly dramatically, hence you know, the sacred cows and whatnot. So it, whatever it is, again, it is not that simple. And I know that usually the argument comes up like, well, uh, the population of the world has changed significantly uh, over time. There's more people alive now than at any time prior, and that that number has grown extremely rapidly in the last century. So how could you have that number of souls? Well, again, if you're talking on a timeless basis, we haven't addressed time, but that's certainly a key issue in here that, um, uh, you know, that uh, there's uh, infinite possibilities and the simple numerical argument sort of fails. Yes. Um, Well, you know, it depends on your viewpoint because if you're, let's say, uh, uh, in certain religions, uh, Hindu and Buddhism, they, they do come back and they do believe in reincarnation. In a way, Christianity has some kind of, if you read the whole Bible, it does have people coming back, you know, as, I don't know if they mean it figuratively or in reality. Reincarnation was, you know, accepted within Christianity until it was literally voted out uh, in uh, some of the early years, so, but the earlier Christians did believe in reincarnation. And it um, wasn't until a group in Constantinople got together and said, no, nah, we're going to vote that out. So. Wow. Well, that's, you know, yeah, I'm part of that group. <laughs> because that was the Greek, the orthodoxy and the Greek orthodoxy with the other, yeah, the Catholicism and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting uh, how this all plays. So, okay, so uh, there's another question from chat. Is uh, that uh, do you know a scientist by the name of Ralph Berger Stresser? No. No. Does not ring a bell. Okay, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so do you have a con- uh, have a context or? Is there? Do you have a question in regards to the scientist? Uh, they can just answer me. It'll take a second for them to answer me. And uh, okay, I don't know. I don't have the answer yet. So uh, okay. also, when you what what uh, what kind of belief system do you practice personally? 
Mm. Uh, very eclectic. <laughs> I don't know how okay. to uh, you know how to qualify that. Um, yeah, I um, believe that we're, we're uh, spiritual beings having a human experience as opposed to humans having a spiritual experience. But I agree. I agree with that. And um, in your art, how how do you find um, the people in other countries? Because in a, America, we have a lot of people, all of us are yearning for a spiritual experience and uh, are seeking that. And do you find uh, people in other countries more able to handle it? Because they do have a direct shaman right there. Because our our priests and things aren't exactly yeah. shaman; they're kind of remote to us. Where a shaman, to me, is hands on. Yeah, um, I, I think we're really behind the power curve uh, in these areas. That um, one of the common factors that I see in dealing with shamans all over the world. Uh, is acceptance of spirits and a spiritual reality. Now, the problem in the West is that we have a materialistic worldview, and our scientists are convinced that if they just cut things into smaller and smaller pieces, we'll eventually get to something like the Higgs boson and the, you know the God particle, and we're willing to spend an inordinate amount of money looking for such things. Um, but it, uh, you know, the, the notion that there are spirits or you could have spiritual uh, interactions with them, uh, that they certainly that they might physically impact your life, in general, lies outside the Western belief system. Now, in other areas of the world, that is not true. Um, you're dealing with uh, voodoo, for instance, and I also want to say, basically, if you got your notion of voodoo from television or movies, it is totally wrong, and it is not a religion. Uh, when you get these areas, voodoo is a way of life, um, and they're very conscious of spirits in the spirit world. For instance, our guys going out, um, if he was going to pick fruit or something like that before doing so, would ask the plant, uh, you know, kind of a blessing and say the spirit of the plant, because they see spirits and everything. Um, you know, is it all right to take this fruit for, you know, e- eating and whatnot? Um, now, I also point out that. Uh, I'll use Brazil as the best example because I do a fair amount of work down there in the what I call the straight world, uh, particularly non-lethal weapons. And in dealing with the intelligentsia there, and these are highly educated people, uh, senior military officers, uh, people with high levels in the government and whatnot, they are totally fine with dealing with the spirit world as an entity that has to be dealt with. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with John of God, but we've seen him a number of times. But uh, accepting of the spiritist religions, of Abrahamic, Umbanda, etc., 
you know, in which some pretty strange things happen. Um, sure enough, you know, you know the, these people who are highly educated, even in Western institutions, are totally fine in integrating those concepts, whereas we see them as outliers, something that's strange or bizarre. So when you say Americans are spiritual, eh, I, I think we're we're probably behind the rest of the world in general. Yes, and uh, uh, what what happens is this is what I've observed and also I've experienced uh, through dreams. I have uh, many kind of incredible dreams, but that there are uh, the the people that are uh, like uh, native peoples that are very much in close in contact with their spirituality and with the earth and uh, with their bodies and with other people and they're not separate from others. And uh, that what they make, let's say they're even making, in my dream there was a bowl that they were making. They weren't just making the bowl and, and cutting it, and it was a wood bowl, and it was very beautiful, and they were working on it. But they were also praying over it. And at the end it was like a holy bowl. It wasn't just a bowl. It, was, uh, it turned into something holy because of their intention. And I feel like that's the way they carry on their lives. They do everything with more of an intention and with uh, spirituality and reverence. Okay. What do you think? <laughs> I, I, I would point out that, you know, in, in fact, there's a picture of a guy that I'm a senior voodoo priest in uh, Benin. Um, and uh, he was a big gun in the field there. And, you know, that's what he did at night was to sleep. And, you know, he'd, he'd literally decide what was going to happen in the village and whether or not he should go outside. Um, we met another priest over in Togo. He's a famous uh, international healer. And people would come to him with problems. And he would say, okay, go back and come back in three days. And that's what he would do was to dream uh, what, kinds of uh, treatment modalities ought to be used. So they incorporate the dream process, as you know. In, uh, I did not realize to, that. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, also in Australia, they talk about the dream time. and uh, It's yeah, used by time. natives there. So, uh, yeah, the, our problem is that, uh, and I'm terrible person at it, but there are people who work on, you know, learning how to control dreams and to use them uh, in a profitable way. Yes. I think that, uh, yeah, I think they're even doing stock markets and stuff like that. And besides finding cures and uh, solutions to uh, very essential problems, they're actually able to make a profit with the stock market and things like that. Well, if, if it works, it works. I would not deny that. There was something goes back to remote viewing, uh, which they call associative remote viewing, that was done in order to predict how the stock market would move. The mechanism is a little compli complicated, but there was a guy who gave him, uh, this is a put off and targ working on it, with a 
stack of uh, silver futures, so literally putting the money in, and they were able to um, generate uh, enough money to create a school. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, and then I started thinking, you know, when you were saying that, okay, so if we're talking about people that uh, can uh, observe or understand changes, do you think that they can make changes to the stock market? Uh-huh. Um, like, by thinking it there. Well, yeah, the, Can they the, influence uh, the stock market? The actual physics discussion that is going on right now is even more controversial um, in that they're talking about retrocausality. Uh, can we go back and change things that have already happened? Oh my goodness! Believe me, and, I have tried. Some, I've some tried other to experiments are saying this may be true. Wow! So, you know, we discuss this a lot. I'm a, actually a, a ther- therapist for uh, federal prisoners. That's my job, and uh, so I'm trying to lower the crime of the world and actually a substance abuse counts on top of it. But. Um, Actually, we've discussed this, how, uh, to be honest, and and sometimes you attempt to think think the path in a different way to change it, and you're saying people are actually able to focus and change what already has been done. Right. Now, these are generally at micro level, but the experiments are uh, certainly there. I'm trying to think of the guy who there was one done. I mean, this is not new. 30 or 40 years ago, they were doing it where they were, what they would do is generate two uh, tapes and um, using a binary system, the tapes were to be identical and you use a decaying radioactive source. You're doing pluses and minuses and this was supposed to be pretty random. And then... What they do is they lock it away and separate them, but the important factor was that they not be seen at that time. And then, with intention, go back and change one or the other of them. Uh, Even though, remember, they're generated at one time, separated, kept in safes in different areas, and then mm-hmm. you influence one and the other, and you go, and they would come out differently. And you say, how can it be different if it was generated at the same time? So somebody mm. was going back and changing something. How strange, huh? Because, you know, there's been kind of uh, m- many movies, like The Butterfly Effect and then the current movie, uh, about uh, going back in time and, and having influence on uh, things that are happening. This, you know, this has been speculated uh, behind, but I never actually knew if it was real or not. You know, well, now you're saying that, that aspect. Of, I will say the movie versions are generally pretty bad. I mean, they make some yeah, fundamental flaws in logic. Theory. Yeah, it's more of like a philosophy that's out there that you can change the past if you just do it this way and do it that way 
you know, to uh, make the, the outcome different. You know, believe me, I wish I could. I had that ability because I would change a lot of things. People mm. uh, say they have no regrets. I have a lot of regrets. I would change things, but you never know what would happen about it in the future. So uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, if you remember the Minority Report yes, um, exactly. and the Office of Pre-Crime, well, you know, that's coming back. You know, they're doing the, uh, the television series on the Minority Report now. That's awesome. But, but the, yeah. the the premise was that you're going to commit a crime in the future, so we will interdict you to prevent it from happening. Well, what do you? What's your feelings on that? Well, the moral issues that would arise are just uh, almost insurmountable. Yeah. You know, do you? Um, well, having said that, you know, this could, could you interdict a crime uh, on the premise that it you the individual might do it later? Now we have a view that you know each individual is responsible for their own actions, um, and uh, but there are other. World view. One of the things you're seeing, in, say, in the Middle East and areas like that, where you have group responsibility. So the actions that are committed by any individual uh, becomes the responsibility of other family members or clan members or you know whatever size group. Um, so the this notion. Of individual responsibility is not the only way to look at these kinds of issues. Uh, leads to a lot of wars and things, and no doubt. But um, uh, yeah, so free crime. You know, could you go in and for you know be preemptive? Uh, interesting question. It is a fascinating question, and. Um, it might be in our future, but what if we could change that? You know what I mean? And they're saying, you know, that they would actually remove a person that would be doing that. So that's when that ethical question comes in. But uh, I wonder if in ways they're doing that now. If we I have the ability to do that, would we do it now? No. I don't see any indication of Anything like that taking place? I think that's in the far future and science fiction novels. Right, but then if you take it to uh, mediums and, and things and psychics, they can predict the the future. But I don't know so much as it's predicting it anymore. I'm thinking it's on some kind of a loop that you can actually see. Well. What we do tend to look at there, and uh, I had mentioned somebody earlier, is phenomenal. Um, uh, Gary Schwartz, uh, down at the University of uh, Arizona, looks at these issues and had what he calls his dream team. And the point there were he had a number of mediums who were providing pretty accurate information. And his point was he used the um, uh, Michael Jordan analogy 
saying, you know, people revere Michael Jordan as a basketball player. But the point was that at his best, he shot 45%. So you say, well, why do you revere him? Well, you revere him because that is just better than everybody else. And so when we are talking about the mediums, um, I've never seen any, you know, even beginning to approach 100% accuracy, but you're finding folks who are just better than anybody else and sufficiently better that you can take their advice and um, act on it. Yes. You know, I think that there's been uh, many gifted people through time that, you know, that actually assisted each other uh, from, let's say, they have a sense so they can see it. Uh, I say, I call it seeing it coming. It's like you can see certain things coming because you might be a good uh, detective. You know, because I've thought about this a lot. Like something that looks like a prediction is actually being, uh, I'm just saying for some of it, because some of this is so outlandish, you know, that uh, that like I I saw something three months ago. It was a, I thought I saw a back of an aluminum truck. I thought I saw a movie playing, like a vintage movie about a road, which is so odd, right? Then I see yesterday uh, on the news, June uh, 23rd, this article came out about Samsung is putting movies on the back of trucks. And I was like, what the hell? They don't even have the truck on the road yet, and I've already seen it. But I don't think I actually saw it. I think I was perceiving the possibility of it, or I was on some kind of strange loop. People are calling it a loop of, like, precognition. What would you would you call that seeing or viewing something that is coming down but it hasn't happened yet? Well, that's generally precognitive, yes. But the oh. problem there, I mean, and, and certainly those things do occur, but you also remember that people have premonitions that don't happen. Um, and, again, you're back to the Michael Jordan thing. Who is it? that yeah. is so good that uh, the premonitions are worth responding to. What? Yeah, what does that mean? Why are you... Okay, so why are certain people chosen to have premonitions? That's another thought. <laughs> why? Yeah, well, Tell I don't know. My, my personal view is that... Uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, from a psychic perspective that uh, everybody has some psychic capability, but there are a number of people who are just much, much better than everybody else. Uh, I think it's very similar like to mental and physical capabilities. Everybody has some, but, uh, you know, as much as I train, I am not, going to be breaking any running you know world records uh, and and know that so like I said I think it's capability just like other capabilities and um, yeah some of the people are better than others trick is finding them and uh, making sure they keep those because we, I think all know people who have been initially pretty good uh, uh, psychic perspective and then eventually fall off uh, in 
capability. And you see the same thing certainly mm-hmm. in physical and, and mental realm. So don't know why it would yeah. be different. Yeah, you you know you're right about that, and that's a good point because I have watched those that just stay solid because they seem to be centered in their own truth and they have peace in their life, and other ones that tend to be angry at people. And at the end, you know, they just kind of do a tailspin. It's it's embarrassing, really, some of it. I'm thinking of somebody, but I'm not going to mention her name, but I actually saw videos of her, you know, putting down the people that she was supposed to be reading their uh, families and the ghosts and stuff like that. And I, I saw her putting them down in various ways, you know, when they would say, no, that's not my relative, and she would, you know, badger them that it was and you know stuff like that i don't think that's right but um Mm -hmm. i think that we have to stay out of our egos we've got to be strong and spiritual at the same time you've got to be strong you can't be a weak person meaning weak let's say if your pride gets too much involved people can uh actually placate you to the point where i think you kind of lose it you know, I mean, you have to just stay strong and, and stay on your right road. What do you think about that? It takes work. It's not like you can slack off, is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, but yeah, I think that's kind of the uh, operative word there. Uh, like when you're talking about remote viewing, these things tend to take work. And yeah. the questions are, are people willing to put in the time and effort? Um, sort of really is no free lunch. No, it's a, there may be things, things that look like it, but uh, there are trade-offs in, usually in other areas. Yes, I agree. And uh, uh, what do you do and how do you find time in a world where you have to, you have to go to work eight to ten hours a day and you still have this sort of life going on, and you don't have time for your art, your life. Your well, I'm talking about me. What do you? How do you keep developing mm-hmm. yourself? And then sometimes I think retirement is made for self-development. In other words, because I'm close, mm-hmm. I'm closing in on retirement. So next mm-hmm. month I'll be 63. So I got another three years, and I think maybe then I can focus on developing more of these things, meaning art and uh, abilities and things like that. Well, well, I would warn you, um, be careful of retirement. Said so I, I did it twice, and you get busier oh each time. So, in <laughs> I fact, can see you doing it. People I know say, wow. say how, how did we ever have time to work? That's the point. That's what, uh, you know, especially I have a labor, uh, like a, not labor, but paper-intensive job, you know. I have to come up with 750 pages for the feds every month, and it's like, oh, my God. I don't know, I should have studied to be a lawyer. That's, I make better money. But anyway, so what do you see as trending uh, in your personal feelings on uh, these, uh, let's say if there's any mega trends or new things coming up that have caught your interest that may be on our horizon? It could be scientific. It could be psychically or... Mm, I don't know. Uh, what do you see trending? I'm sorry? What do you see trending? Trending? Yeah. What's on, what's a trend that you're seeing and noticing? Um, 
because well, I, I, I emphasize that I work. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'd rather hear you. I was going to say, most of my, the stuff that I do is what I call the straight world. Um, And that's why, you know, Future War and that are all nonfiction uh, articles that I've done for Huffington Post. Um, In looking at, uh, again, the Middle East, I, I, you know, did work on national and international you know, strategy and affairs. Um, I am not at all happy with, you know, what's has happened in the Middle East. Uh, I have written, I agreed that uh, with a three-star friend of mine who said a number of years ago that the you know, invasion of Iraq is going to, you know, proved to be the greatest strategic error the uh, U.S. has ever made. Um, and these things tend to blend together when you say, what, what's the trend? Um, Middle East is terribly unsettled. We broke it. We sort of own it. I'd be involved or recommend falling out because I think there's a conflict that's got to happen there and going to be very, very ugly. Um, and, but along, you know, it's, it's interesting because with things like wars and the ugliness, you also see mm-hmm. tremendous acts of compassion and value that, you know, can advance the individual, even with the world appearing to be chaotic. Yeah. And, you know, ever more savage and ever more out there and, you know, it's like a big production now of slaughter, and uh, especially, uh, I'm not going to name the group, but this horrible Middle East thing you're talking about, they're making a spectacle every day. It reminds me of the Roman gladiators crucifying the Christians, and they're doing the same thing. They're actually crucifying people on the road and uh, doing all kinds of hideous things, and, uh, you know, all are suffering. They're recreating just this hell on earth, and I guess that's what they carry inside them. Yeah. You know, it gets worse every time. And, and, you know, it's kind of scary to observe because I don't want that in my consciousness. (laughs) How do you feel about about, the the whole issue of, you know, the impact of consciousness on disease is one that should not be... uh, Overlooked. I think you know we certainly create a lot, and certainly our television and fear-based ad systems. I mean, look at all the syndromes we have now that we didn't even know existed uh, ten or twenty years ago. Um, yeah. All this, all designed to sell pharmaceuticals, of course. Yes, and um, you know, to me, I always believe in the greater good, and there's more good that that over, will ultimately overcome evil, I do believe in the good, you know, in the goodness of every living thing, and there's more good in us than bad in us. And I've had many dreams on this topic and uh, things being asked of me, you know, in my sleep. You know, I'm asked, I'm asked a lot of questions that are uh, about how I feel about, let's say, race or how I feel about all these different things. And 
uh, my answers really shock me because I'm I'm giving them an answer that uh, giving who that's a question, right? <laughs> who's, who's asking me yeah, these right. questions? You know, like I had one dream that I'm just going to tell you this dream just to give you, for instance, that I was on a panel and whoever they were, I don't know who they were. I can't remember what they looked like for some reason. They were asking me, what do I feel about why all these races were created? And I was like, well, everybody was saying whatever they thought. And then I said, well, that's because God has made many colored flowers and they're like flowers. We're like flowers to him. He loves it. He loves the variety. And, you know, we can't have just one color beige. And I think maybe there's a lower uh, simplistic impression that wants to just see beige when there's all different colors. What do you think? Is it that was from a dream? Can you believe that? I, I have no way to evaluate your dream. Though. What do you think about it? Actually, it shocked me when I woke up and I went, oh, I get it. I mean, that's the way I feel subconsciously because you never know, you know, like you're, you have a real self, I feel, that's not touched by anything. Do you believe that, that you have a higher self inside yourself? Like there's a there's a greater you, the greater um, mind, if you want to call well, it? Well, uh, there, there is a, a friend of mine who we call him the, the two-name psychic uh, because he comes instead of saying I see a Mary something or other, he'll say it's Mary Smith and blah, blah. so highly accurate. But what he does is his methodology is contacting one's higher self, um, which he does only with permission of the um, individual involved, and that's certainly uh, central to the things that he does. Yeah. So have you felt your your, your own – this is – the way I'm talking about it is that I feel like with all the the racket that's happening around us and uh, the terrible news and the, the, the anger and everything, you know, that it's real easy to overlook. A, there's a, there's a, a more quieter voice inside of us that tells us right from wrong and it also will steer us without fail. And I think that's what I'm talking about. It's like a con- it's con- do you want to call it consciousness or whatever? When I listen to that voice each time before I head out for the day, I know what the day's going to go like. Do this, do this, do this, because it's going to get weird out there. Okay, I'll do it, and I do it, and it's fine, because I'm, re- I'm ready for it. Is that like being psychic? But see, I'm not sure because I've lived like this all my life. Yeah, I don't know, but certainly the still small voice is something that's well known. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. I feel like people are screaming so loud out in the streets they don't hear it anymore. You know, the people that are, well, are that, harming that's others. Like so a much. Lot of, you know, say that's like a lot of pollution issues, uh, sound, yeah. electrical, et cetera, et cetera, that uh, and particularly in the West, we tend to drown things out. One of the reasons why, you know, doing... Uh, meditation of one form or another prayer sessions uh, taking time to be still and listen are terribly beneficial and you know, these studies on that have been just uh, kind of overwhelmingly uh, you know positive that say 
you know, this is, uh, you know, gaining insight. Uh, you can use it, for instance, if you're trying to do problem solving. Um, and the the biggest issue, of course, is letting go. You pull out yeah. what you want and then just let it go. And then during these sessions or dream states, as we discussed earlier, uh, they have the capability of receiving guidance of some form. Now, what you're saying is so important, and uh, you said the key word, letting go, because there, I, as we're busy trying to compartmentalize everything and know everything, there's a certain exquisiteness in just letting stuff happen, and it, it's, it takes the stress off you, but you have to learn to trust. I think trust is a big issue, trusting the spirit of whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I take I take that as a comment, not a question. I don't know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think we actually mean you think two different ways because you're very pragmatic and you're very, uh, you know, you have a certain line of thinking, and I'm more of a free floating, uh, uh, empathetic thinker. I think. <laughs> I don't know what to okay. call it, but but anyway. It's uh I'm just I'm just saying is there uh there was a question here is that what what would you like to say cuz we got about uh just uh about 9 minutes left you know what would you like to say and for people to hear either from the work you you're doing or a message that you have or uh you know whatever you would like to say and let, let us know more information or well comment. um well, it, it kind of covered the, the waterfront because uh, I guess uh, there's a couple of main points. Uh, one of them is that although we have discussed a wide range of topics, I, I think there is a common thread in there, and human consciousness is a piece of it. And we do a disservice when we try to isolate uh various phenomena and deal with them independently um the other mantra that i have is that uh take it as kind of an objective try and make it permissible for senior highly qualified scientists to study phenomena without risking their reputation uh, or livelihood and the problem is that you know, I have many friends who, you know, would put that bill or just say, you know, I'm interested, keep me informed, but don't put my name out there because they know that it is not career enhancing. Um, the UFO yeah. field, for instance, you know, we had, the, well, there's a very famous case, the Japanese airline case over Alaska quite a few years ago, but the pilot's flying along and sees something described as twice the size of uh, an aircraft carrier. And you've got, you know, lots of cooperation with it, stays with them for quite a while. And the response was that JAL fired him for embarrassing the company. Um so it, the having experiences are definitely not what we call career enhancing, um, but I think we need to change that and say, 
yes, verily, these kinds of things do occur. And in so doing, we uh, need to make it permissible. As I've argued from a scientific perspective, um, consciousness is at least as complex as cancer or AIDS. And you need some kind of massive effort to begin to undertake, you know, studying these topics. And yet uh, you just uh, can't get that, and for good reason. Yeah, because I was wondering about that, how, you know, everything would affect all of our reputations, and especially those that are still, you know, have our regular day jobs and, and things like that. And um, I think that you just conduct yourself, uh, you know, when you're on your job, like you're on your job. And when you're away from it, you just, uh, I can't, you can't go run the streets, but I think that if you're an artist, go paint or whatever. So, well, you know, the, you know, one of the things I point out, uh, of course, there's a lot of conspiracy theory regarding government involvement in many of these areas. Um, and I also point out that there's a huge difference between individual interests in various topics and institutional responsibility, meaning that uh, people, excuse me, um, can have things like religious beliefs or experiences like this, but that doesn't mean when they go to their day job that they're going to do something about it. In fact, they often get into trouble when they do. Yes. And um, now you're you're telling us about what your next appearance is going to be uh, at. Could you tell us what, what your next couple projects or com- conferences you're going to be speaking at? Well, the next conference will be uh, IAMS, International Association of Near-Death Studies, we mentioned earlier, 3 to uh, 6. I'm speaking on the 3rd of September. Um, I'm going to be talking about many of the things we did here, but looking at kind of how the spirit world interacts with all these things from um, on an international perspective and how other societies ex- are much more accepting uh, than we are. And um, other than that, uh, trying to work on uh, several projects immediately following that, we'll be going to India for uh, some ceremony that my wife is following. It's only held every, I think it's every 12 years, and this happens to be the year that it's going to occur. Uh, Do that with a few friends. I understand there's you know, between somewhere between twenty and forty million people will show up. So, uh, be you know, quite interesting. So, your wife sounds like an interesting person too. I should have asked you about her a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. She sounds well, fascinating. She's the one who follows this. And following that, uh, I'm going to be diving with great white sharks. So, it's it's good. So, um, okay, so uh, we've been speaking with uh, John Alexander. Now, were you a a colonel in the Army or military? Right. Yes, that's right. So I wanted to call you colonel, but I I thought doctor is what you're putting up here, so it was a doctor, but... Well, uh, I do. My civilian grade was actually higher than my uniform rank, so... Okay, so... 
You're author of The Warrior's Ed, um, also Future War, uh, with Forward by Tom Clancy. I noticed that you know him. And then there's a sequel to that, Winning War, and then also uh, The UFOs, Myths, Conspiracy, and Realities, and, uh, from St. Martin's Press. And uh, you can get the paperback edition. I found it all on Amazon. And it's also featured in the Paranormal and Sacred Book Club because we all want to read your book. And a lot of our peeps are in- interested in UFOs and things like that. And, uh, well, it's interesting, you, really uh, get... you know, Go ahead. Tom, Clancy, Tom Clancy did a forward. I, actually, I, I do know him quite well, or knew him. Yeah. He died uh, about a year ago. But uh, the point was that I... Um, uh, I asked him for a blurb, you know, as authors do, you know, good stuff, read the book. And instead, he came back with some pages about that, um, as did Bert Rutan, who, if you have any aviation aficionados, this guy is absolutely legendary in uh, aviation. He's also the one who put Mike Melville into space, uh, the first totally civilian space program. Um, but I had asked Bert the uh, same thing if he'd do it, and instead uh, he wrote several pages, including his personal sighting. And so when anybody says they don't know, you know, or think that Bert understands aviation, uh, that's just taking something on. So, yeah, he really does know uh, about aviation and knows that what he saw was not uh, – a traditional vehicle of any kind. Yes. Well, it's a fascinating. It's wonderful having you on. Uh, you're welcome back anytime, and uh, you've done some amazing things, and you have left such a legacy for your family, and we really appreciate you very much being in the field because we need people that have a, a more pragmatic, scientific approach to all these things, and it's important to us that are out there in the field and so I want to thank you so much for being on tonight. Uh you're you're very okay, well- thank you. Yeah. So, sorry about the early uh, contact problem but uh, Oh, that's okay. That don't worry because there's a lot of glitches on here this blog talk thing. So, you know, everybody comes on at the same time and I think that's part of it. You know what I mean? So Okay. You have you have a good evening and take care. Okay. Thank you now. Okay. Okay. Good night. Bye. Well, that was a, a fascinating evening. Um, I'm just just stunned by the guy. You know, he has so much. He just uh, has so much to say. So you're just going to have to go ahead and read his books. And uh, he's just, uh, you know, just very interesting. And uh, I'd like you to follow the links to contact me. Or you can leave me a message if you would like to be part of our show. Or for general assistance and help. And if you'd like to... Write me. You can write me at Char McCain, P.O. Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. I thank all my guests in chat. You guys are the best and very brilliant people. And uh, please uh, friend me on Facebook. And uh, then I want to thank everybody that was calling in, listening on the phone. I appreciate you very much. And this show is archived, so you can listen to it again. And remember to tell your friends, and I'll be back here next week, 6 p.m., with another fabulous guest. So the Paranormal is Sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard. And uh, God bless everybody tonight. May your best dreams come true, and may true love live in your heart. Take care, you guys. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.